0: Welcome to the Yellow Chair Collective. We are a psychotherapy practice based in Los Angeles. My name is Jack Lam. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm an outreach coordinator and an associate therapist at Yellow Chair Collective. So since we're focusing this season on relationships, we could not go without making this episode about sex and sexual wellness. And I am so excited to have both of our guests here today. So first off, we have Dr. Rika Cruz. Dr. Rika Cruz is a sexologist, a sex educator, and media personality in the Philippines. And she is the CEO and founder of UnPrude, the first stage-sensitive sex store. Her expertise and published work is focused on Filipino sexual behaviors and sexual pleasure. Dr. Rika has made her life's work to help Filipino women embrace their sexual selves on their own terms. The other guest that we have on here today is my dear friend, Trish Bautista, who is an entrepreneur and creative based in both Los Angeles and Manila, Philippines, and is the COO and co-founder of Unprude. As a Filipino immigrant in the U.S., she is passionate about Filipino and AAPI sexual and reproductive health. So welcome, and um, yeah, feel free to share how you came into getting involved with sexual wellness and sexual education.
1: Hi, Jack. Thank you for that very nice introduction. So yes, I'm Dr. Rika Cruz. Um, I use the pronouns she and her, and I am a sex and relationships therapist foremost, and I'm the CEO and founder of Intrude, and we're running it with Trish, right? And um, yes, you're right. And food is about sexual wellness and education. And also, my life is about sexual wellness and education. And how did that come? Um, how did that come to be? It was because I was raised in a very strict Catholic family, and in the Philippines, we really do not talk about sex. There's no such thing as sex education. There's no such thing as you know, um, talking about contraception. Nothing. Sex is um, is very taboo. No one talks about it. And because that was the case, I had to navigate it by myself growing up. So during puberty, you know, you had all the, all those hormones. And in during that process, I taught myself what sex is. But of course, I went through a lot of negative consequences. <laughs> I'm trying to find a word. <laughs> I'm trying to find a word um, to describe it because I was teaching myself. Um, I would talk to my friends about sex. I would try to find out what I want about it, what feels good, what doesn't feel good, what sexually transmitted infections are, etc., etc. And uh, in that process, I was also shamed by my peers and my family. It was difficult, but I was able to figure out, I was able to figure it out on my own. (laughs) And when I became a mother um, to my daughter, I said I didn't want her to go through what I went through because you know, it was challenging um, navigating the world of sex without proper guidance. So I pursued um, education and research on sexual behavior so I can accurately and properly educate um, my child about it.
2: How about you, Trish? Cool. Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, again, I'm Trish Bautista. I was actually born and raised in the Philippines. Um, I moved to LA when I was 18, and growing up, I was raised by all women. So you know, my single mom. And anyone that could help, nuns, I went to an all-girls Catholic school in the Philippines. My teachers were all um, women, all-girls school. So I, you know, was really empowered by these women to be educated. Um, But ironically, I think being in a conservative society, being in a conservative school, conservative Catholic school for 13 years, there was a lot of like conflicting messaging about, you know, how I don't own my body. So on one hand, I'm really, um, I'm fueled and empowered to be successful in career, you know, as a woman. But on the other hand, there's these other contexts of conflicting messages. Yeah, and these have serious consequences that I'm, of course, still learning and unlearning many years later. So through that process, I really kind of have this like multifaceted um, view, as I know many women do um, in the Philippines and in Asia, um, this kind of relationship with, my identity as a woman, as an Asian woman, and now having moved to the US, um, I feel like that also added another layer to it. So um, that's really how I grew into kind of being involved with sexual wellness and, you know, in this field.
0: Thank you so much for sharing. I think I am so, Almost excited to kind of dig into what y'all both mean by kind of negative consequences, because there was that long pause and I was like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I I think one of the things that I, I picked up on was kind of the lack of sex ed, right, growing up and not being able to access this information and having to do so on your own and then leading to the negative consequences, right? And I remember, I'm, I'm, I I'm grew up in Malaysia and I remember our sex ed was literally just, I think they showed us figures of the quote unquote male and female body. And then they said, um, so these are all the areas that are off limits to touch. So don't touch the genitals, don't touch the breasts, don't touch the hands and don't touch the mouth. <laughs> and so it was just black oh bars. No. Over.
2: <laughs> it's more like what, it's not even what, you could do, but just what not to do when you figure out the rest. Yes, very that. Don't touch, don't touch.
0: Off limits, everything is off limits. Just don't do any oh, of this no. and you'll be okay.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's exactly. Um, personally, for me, like I said, I was raised in a Catholic school. Of course, uh, the Philippines is lar- a largely very um, uh, Catholic country and conservative. So growing up i think this blend of being in uh, this type of school system and also being in this um in this culture there's a lot of messaging on like what not to do like what you said and like what your relationship should be with your body and the main message is that it's not yours essentially it's yours to keep safe because it's your best gift to your husband in the future Oh, wow. Um, Your virginity, basically, is your best gift to your husband in the future. So you would hear this literal verbatim messaging from when you're like 11, you know, things like that. And that's not, of course, unique to one school. This is kind of um, culture at large. You know, we would, I remember we would have assemblies uh, at the start of every school year to talk about this year that's to come, what to expect. But really what's highlighting that is like, what are the rules? Here's the rules. We're reminding you of them no boys, stay virgins essentially, without saying those actual words because we don't talk about sex. We would even do an oath to stay virgins, like literally raise a right hand. I forget the wording, um, of course it was uh, religious driven, but I'm sure Doc Rika knows very well of these, of these um, things. So, you know, that's what we would hear every year. Um, and it was like really 13 plus years of that. So a lot of it was very fear driven. So, of course, we would be educated on biology and reproductive system and all of that. But in terms of sex and pleasure, of course, can't even begin, we don't even talk about pleasure, but a lot of it was really fear-based contraception, for example. I remember we were all um, called to the gym. Um, I think we were in about fifth grade or something. I think there was an organization that came to the school to talk about um, sexual education. But really what it was is how... Sex will make you pregnant. And even if you do everything in your power, like use a condom, you can get this, you can get that, you can get pregnant, which is all true, right? But of course, there is that obvious angle of fear. Basically, don't do it. Not that that stops anyone really, but <laughs> Dr. I don't know if, um, that's probably very common, right? I don't, this isn't unique to me. Oh, yeah, very common, especially here in the Philippines,
1: because this is a predominantly Catholic country, right? But you know, I didn't go to Catholic school. I only went to a um, Catholic school during my kinder or prep, prep nursery prep, so somewhere there. Mm. And what I remember is that they would teach us that we cannot have crushes, yes, and that we cannot have we cannot have anyone on our left side. So we should just be. It's so weird. It's so weird, girl. We should just be walking by ourselves, and there should be no one on our left side because the left side is the devil. <laughs> like,
0: oh <what? laughs> wow!
1: I was like, what? Five years old, six years old. We cannot use the left hand too, so because the devil is on the left side. So anyway,
2: I going back to that,
1: right? yeah uh, but it's so weird because it was during that time when I was um yeah uh, in that Catholic school that I had my first crush because we were co-ed the nurseries were like co-ed and I remember he was so he was so foggy it's foggy and he was so handsome yes and he was six <laughs> years old so cute so cute I remember him I still remember his name Aaron
0: Shout out, (laughs) Erin. Shout out to Erin. Erin, if you're listening, it's time to reach out. I know.
1: But yeah, so um I did my elementary school in a non-sectarian um school in the Philippines. There's no religion. But because my family is like, of course, Catholic and my dad was supposed to be a priest, you know, that's the kind of person he is. He's he also like goes to church um morning and evening. Um, he was very strict about these things and uh, to the extent that we weren't allowed to have um, boyfriends we weren't allowed to have crushes or like boy friends that are boys and because I was a very curious kid um, I had to again like what I said I had to find out for myself and finding out for myself means I had to get myself my my first boyfriend right (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I <do. laughs> yes, yeah I was I was a very horny child like, I couldn't understand what was going on in my body and I was attracted to a guy so yeah I, I had to get myself um my first boyfriend unfortunately my parents found out and when they found out they also found out that I was saying I had I already had my first sexual debut so the moment they found out I was like 12 I remember my mom got me and then she took me to the washroom and had the pregnancy test. I, I, she gave me a pregnancy test and said, take it. And then when my dad found out we were in the car, he almost hit the car. You know, he's so angry. He almost hit the car. He said, what kind of future are you going to have? What kind of a woman are you? Um, uh, you're like, you're done, etc., etc." et And et wow. of course, I know he was just saying it because he was angry. Um, but that was a kind of like values that they were trying to instill to Filipino children before. And after that, because, you know, I'm still very insistent and curious, even after that happening to me and finding out that my first boyfriend cheated on me, uh, Oh, no. I had to get myself another boyfriend. Fresh <laughs> Another boyfriend. Yeah. And, um, of course, I used sex to really find out who I was, You know, maybe find out, um, look for affection, or just figure out how, what it means to me as a person, as a, as a teenager, maybe as a young adult. And uh, I had multiple sexual partners to the extent that, okay, you were asking about negative consequences, to the extent that I had to rush myself to the ER because I couldn't sit anymore. And I was like, my fever was at the the 40s and I couldn't sit. It was so painful to pee. And when I went to the ER, they found out that my Bartholin's gland was already inflamed. And they had to rush me to get general surgery to get it out. And my Mm -hmm. mom. I was so cool. I was so cool because the anesthesiologist was my best friend's mom, and she found out. Of course, I didn't tell my best friend. Right, like one of my best friends, I didn't tell her, and she just found out through her mom. Like, hey, Rika's at the hospital. We're doing surgery. That's <laughs> crazy. And then um, um, another thing that I had to go through because of like these, you know, curiosity is that I had, well, uh, abortion is illegal in the Philippines, but I got pregnant at the age of 18, 19, I believe, and I had to take whatever I could, like whatever they're selling in the streets of um, Manila, and uh, I had to uh, let go of the baby by myself at a (laughs) motel, It was painful. Oh I'm laughing God. now, as I say it, because it doesn't really matter me. it doesn't really like um affect me that much. Now. it's a funny story when I think about it. but of course, I wouldn't want my daughters to go through that. That's like hell. So maybe that those are like those mm, those instances motivated me more. To really push to find out about sex and really to advocate um, sexual wellness and sexual education, because I don't want anyone else going through that. But you know, even if I say this now, a lot of women are still going through the same thing that I went through. It's just that I'm, uh, I, I guess I'm I'm privileged. I'm lucky that my parents did not disown me even after, or like I was able to afford proper care after. But it still doesn't justify going through these experiences,
2: right? A lot of women don't have support. I mean, you you know, oh, you're yeah. very alone. That's why you had to go to a motel. You had to go to the ER and ran into your best friend's mom. <laughs> without even know yeah. And a lot of yeah. children are disowned, you know, because of these things. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it, it was it was scary.
1: It was scary because, like what you said, yes, I felt alone. because I couldn't tell anyone because these people would just say, Ah, you're you did that to yourself. You chose to be um sexually active. You chose to sleep around. So figure that out by yourself. That's how I was thinking then,
0: wow, yeah, I can't even imagine how scary it must have been to be pregnant at that age knowing that abortion is illegal, knowing that you have to figure it all by yourself. In addition to kind of, as you mentioned, the stigma and without parental support, and it seems like with friends, it was also really hard to talk about sex and sexual mm-hmm. wellness.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I feel that um, those are the reasons um, that got me into sex therapy because in the process of learning about sex and learning um, you know, how to help people who had, who have sexual issues or who had a traumatic past based on sex, I was also healing myself.
0: Yeah, I think that's amazing that you were able to kind of take away something like that from something so traumatic as going through that. And, you know, I really did not think this is where it would have went when you had mentioned negative consequences now i feel like that's a very light term for what it went through
2: yeah we said it like it was like a little oopsie (laughs) (laughs) oh oh, there's
1: more but yeah
2: (laughs) scraping the surface yeah yeah
1: but yeah I, i i do not regret anything but i wouldn't wish it upon anyone else
0: and i think it highlights how important it is right especially now i'm in the us there's you know of course a lot of conversation right now around abortion rights and how much something like this that could seem so abstract to so many people in reality and in practice can really 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 have such a huge impact on individual lives and you know i want to also kind of give space for trish cuz I know you had your experiences where you talked about negative consequences in your life about not being able to access proper sexual education as well.
2: Yeah. Um, well, for me, actually, I I would say I'm lucky to not have had a lot a lot of medical negative medical consequences. And I think I'll actually share some positive experiences. So I you know I mentioned that I was raised in almost like if you think about if you remember wonder woman and how they were like in this utopia of like feminine energy and how they're all raised um yeah amongst women i feel like that's how kind of how my upbringing was not thinking about it so my mom was a very um, strong figure in my life of course being a single mom and this I know you mentioned negative consequences, but I'll start with a positive because I felt like, you know, this was the education that was available to us in the society. And she truly, you know, enrolled me into like what she thought was, you know, in the best environments, which I do agree. It's just like kind of what we have at the time. So for me, I felt like in my household, we didn't really talk about sex. Per se, but i am I am very lucky that, as I grew older, my mom and I were more open to it. Um, as I moved here um, and I, as I became a young adult, I was more open to her, and that's a very strong contrast from you know I would come I would come home to that, but then I would go to school and go out into the world with a different environment. So I was kind of um, I would say that really helped me become more informed and more careful. I was really scared of pregnancy, um, growing up. So I actually, I didn't engage in penetrative or se- heterosexual, sexual intercourse. So I actually had experiences with girls growing up and that's how I would say that I really found my sexuality. And, you know, I, I was around like 13 years old and I, 13, 14, and no one really around me was talking about that in school, like sexual experiences. It was like wild when my friends would kiss other guys or girls or whomever. That was, that level was already kind of, um, you know, the rumors would get around. What more if they had found out that I was involved in sexual, um, yeah, sexual interactions. So no one around me was really, at least to my knowledge, Um, involved sexually at the age that I was in the context that I was but I think because I was in the confines of safe sex in terms safe in terms of pregnancy because I was discovering my early sexuality with um, with girls um, I was kind of not too worried about that although it was just worries with authority um, morality because you know growing up we think that that's wrong you're gonna get caught, you might get expelled from school. And I was, you know, um, I was flagged a few times and that really affects, you know, if you care about, you know, your standing, your grades and all that stuff, that does affect um, your markings in school and could affect, you know, going into college and things like that. Thankfully that didn't happen for me, but that's what I would watch out for, right? Um, Yeah, so getting caught, um, you you could get kicked out Um, or my family finding out as well. Um, That wasn't something that I had talked about. So I think consequences for me was just relationships um, with family that I feel like could have been better if I was, if I felt safer to open up to them more, because then as a result, you know, as a teenager, I had my relationships with my first girlfriends and I, you know, had to lie about that stuff. And, you know, my sister would find out, but my mom didn't. And that kind of, um, it made us really drift apart. There's a lot more detail to that um, that are kind of more you know family related, but that's to me. I feel like I wish I could have been more open to my family because that really um, hurt a lot of my relationships in my young adulthood. And you know, years of not talking to family because of um, events about getting caught. Um, with a girl and how that's not allowed and things like that sorry I'm like being vague (laughs) I sound like I'm being vague but um, to me it was really more relational I think the consequences were
0: yeah no I think both of your stories really help paint this picture of how much fear there is in terms of approaching anything like sexual in nature and to me, right, I, as someone who hasn't interrogated as much of my like early sexual experiences and now more so coming from the perspective of like, well, this is my body, right, like personal autonomy, and it almost, listening to this almost makes me feel like something so personal to you, your own like sexual, your own identity as a sexual being and your sexual behavior something so personal and private feels so surveilled in the sense of like, if people found out there would be such negative consequences, right? I think that illuminates a little bit more about like what those negative consequences are, like even being flagged or marked down for that, like that seems so intrusive to me, right? Like from this perspective. And I think that's why it's amazing to hear about the work that y'all are doing at Unprude with, What y'all have called, I guess, stage sensitive sex. And that's kind of where I wanted to like pivot a little bit. If you could kind of share a little bit about, you know, what are sexual stages and how do, you know, people develop more like sexual awareness?
1: All right. So I'll take this. Trish. Yes. <laughs> um sexual stages actually came from my years of studying sexual behaviors and um talking to women in the Philippines about their sexual journeys. And one of my biggest studies um is creating a theory on Filipino women's sexual pleasure because I really wanted women to know that we experience pleasure and that we have the right to pleasure. So during During um, interviewing these women, I found out that, of course, everyone's experiences are unique, like how Trish and my experiences are different, but we generally go through a similar process in our sexual journey, and it's changing, it's ever-changing, and it's ever-evolving. And sexual stages are phases or junctures in a person's um, sexual journey that influences their relationship with sex and their sexual self. Their sexuality. And from my research, we have determined four sexual stages, and these are careful, curious, conflicted, and craving. Now, it's important that we do not see these stages as linear because you can go, you can jump around stages, right? They're like waves or they're like spirals. Doesn't matter. (laughs) As long as they're not linear. And um, I found out that when we know where we are, like which stage we are in our sexual journey, it gives us more sexual awareness. And uh, you know, you're a therapist, right? And it gives us more ownership of our bodies. So the awareness leads to understanding and it leads mm-hmm. to um, ownership of our bodies. Because when we understand our sexual stages, it's when we begin to completely accept ourselves and love ourselves for wholly who we are and be comfortable with yeah, our, our, the sexual side of ourselves. Because remember growing up, we were taught that we cannot be sexual. So right. what we want to happen now is to be comfortable with the sexual side of ourselves, be able to accept it and embrace it, because this is a very big and important part of who we are. And only then will we be able to really say that hey, we love ourselves, we accept ourselves, and we care for ourselves. And loving ourselves means we are intentional about exploring and pursuing what makes us feel good. Right? Because pleasure is a right, but we were deprived of that. And what we're saying is that when we love ourselves, we're okay with our pleasures, we are comfortable with you know, um, looking at sex as how it really is and how important it is in our bodies and our whole beings. And knowing knowing this means our relationships with ourselves and even with others comes from a place of want. It's intentional rather than a place of need, like how I did it before, which led to these negative consequences, mm-hmm. right? because it was from a place of need need to find out. But if it's a want, because you know who you are as a sexual person, then you will be more intentional. You will be more careful and you will be more understanding of who you are as a person and who others are too. And now exploring sex will not come from a place of like fear or like, you know, rebelling, but it comes from a place of curiosity and respect for yourself and for others. I hope I made sense.
0: No, yeah, I, <laughs> I love that. I, I think that's amazing. Like the word that came to mind as you were kind of explaining that is that it sounds so empowering, right? In the sense of, you know, when you said, especially I think the words that rang for me were ownership and pleasure because I think throughout the narratives that you've shared, like pleasure wasn't even mentioned, right? Like there is not even the any kind of education or mention about pleasure being a part of sex. And then ownership kind of stuck with me too, especially with your anecdote around like the greatest gift a woman can give her husband as her virginity, right? Like that inherently I feel like implies to me like, well, that's not your, you're not in control of your body, right? And to have ownership over that feels so almost radical yeah and you know I that's why I'm so excited you know to have both of y'all here to share this and for anyone listening I know you've articulated the four stages but can you tell us a little bit more about kind of what each stage maybe like a brief summary of like what each stage kind of sounds like or looks like
2: yeah, Trish. Yeah. You, can yeah, do you want me to take this? <laughs> sure. Yeah, we talk about this all day, every day. And I'm rude. So, you know, the whole point, like you said, is ownership. And each stage is not going to be, may or may not be your stage, right? For you're not, you're not gonna know really how long you're gonna be in that place in your sexual journey. But the point is that you are there and you are at peace with it. So, right, it's careful, curious, conflicted and craving in no particular order. So careful the careful stage is where someone may feel the most kind of scared or nervous for what they might be discovering. So typically, if you're in the mm-hmm. beginning stages, um, this is typically where you might be. Um, if you're feeling intimidated, exploring your sexual self and you need reassurance and care, then that might be, um, the careful stage is where you might be at. Um, on the other hand, the curious stage is when you're you know ready to experience all the different ways that sex could mean to you. So you are willing and eager to explore and to find, understand and define your sexual self and explore the different ways that you can feel pleasure in your body. This is when you're not necessarily in the mechanics of things and you're really in the getting to know you stage um happily in the getting to know you stage of yourself and your sexual identity. And this could mean you know different things for different people as for all of the stages it could, someone could be in the curious stage and not be having sexual intercourse or having a lot of sexual intercourse right it really depends on the person but it's just really defined by you know curious curiosity eagerness willingness to explore and the third stage is conflicted i think we really all go through some in some way or form through a conflicted stage it's when You, you know, there's confusion, fear, maybe even exhaustion that takes over the excitement of pleasure of sex. This could be, you know, someone who has a lot of responsibilities in the moment. So when someone is, let's say a new mom and has a lot of responsibilities, a new parent or is in grad school and is under a lot of stress in a new high demand um, job, or even because of certain relationships that put you in a state of confusion or um, frustration so it's really having some sort of frustration um, that defines kind of your sexual um, your sexual identity in the moment you may be in the conflicted stage and our point in including this is that it's okay there's nothing wrong with you and everybody goes through this and it it's in these little ways that we truly find our sexual identities I think we can all agree that we live in a world that has put limitations on our bodies and our sexual identities. So naturally we're all gonna be in the conflicted stage in one way or another, unless you're in some sort of utopia, right? Maybe someday we won't go through this anymore, but um, yeah, our whole point in including this and in defining this is so that everybody can understand and recognize that this exists, this is okay, and it's part of the journey. And, you know, Moving on from that, we also, we then have the craving stage. This is where your lust to know yourself and kind of your burning passion to experience sort of your full potential is undeniable, right? This is when you find yourself the most confident in your body and your desires, and you're really owning and pursuing your desires um, and embracing and really harnessing the power of your being. For women, your your womanhood. So, you know, these, sta- these are the four stages, essentially. And like Doc Riga mentioned, you can, you can start um, on one stage and be on the next in no particular order. And all of it is okay. Every stage looks could look different for everybody. And what's important is that you just acknowledge where you're at. And it, it is in this full understanding that equips you with the power to make informed decisions and to know that it's all going to be okay.
0: Wow, I love that. Thank you so much for laying it all out. I think one of the things that it makes me think of is how expansive this experience is because we all have a relationship with our sexual selves and we all kind of go through stages that you've mentioned I mean even as you were reading it out I was like oh yeah I feel like I've been there <laughs> like I know what that feels which, like
1: which stage are you now
0: I really <laughs> I think it's really conflicted to be honest because to, yeah they, when you said exhaustion I was like that's me That's where
2: <laughs> I it's all about recognizing it
0: yeah. yeah and I think the how powerful this is to me is kind of like something about when you first began talking about your stories of how taboo sex is, and how hard it is to talk about sex, this kind of gives a language to even talk about it, right, to kind of validate that what I am experiencing, what I'm going through, it's normal, it's named, it's something that, you know, is unique to me still, but also something that everyone experiences at some point, right, I'm not alone, I'm not faulty or wrong for kind of experiencing these things because I think a lot of the times especially in an environment where there's a lot of shame it can feel very wrong
2: exactly I think I I love what you said that language really does have that power you know in naming these stages and naming really anything I think it is really just an attempt you know, to capture the complexity that is our sexual identity. It starts there. It starts somewhere, right? Um, so I think language and recognizing these names is a really, I think, powerful tool for you then to take and define and define yourself and own it and translate it into what makes sense for you. And only you can do that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think, one thing that I really am curious about, right, is Unprude is pretty still. When did y'all launch Unprude? Actually,
2: we're baby, like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> when was that?
1: Was it November? No, November, November. twenty one. Yeah. So yeah, we we started it out. Um, we had a soft launch around June, but of course, you know, a lot of things can happen, and then um, we launched November twenty twenty one.
0: Wow. And I did see photos of it. I thought it was amazing, very beautiful. And I'm so excited to hear more amazing things to come out from it. I think one of the things I'm curious about as you've shared so many of your own stories and your vision for sexual wellness is what kind of changes you would like to see, right? Either it could be for yourself, it can be for your community, or just the impact that you feel like you would like to kind of make for sexual wellness and education landscape
1: you know it's so funny because when i started um, at, um doing sex education like teaching about sex i told my students that you know i'm teaching you this so you can teach the next generation because i don't feel that i'm going to see any impact of what i'm doing in my lifetime it was so funny i said that wow. <laughs> i don't think we can change the philippines anytime soon but it was amazing how people now are, you know, talking about sex more openly, um, more and more people are doing that it's slowly, gradually, but we are moving and I see it and that's great. Um, when I started, when I started on Prude, one of my KPIs, you know, they taught me that you should have KPIs. I didn't have KPIs for i was like, I want to do this and do that. I said... I want to see people going around the mall or going around with paper bags of Uncrude. You know how you walk around with paper bags of um, Dior or a mess and you just flaunt it, right? But if we can do that, it means that people are not ashamed anymore to to, to walk around and say that, hey, I got something for my sexual self today. Does that make sense?
2: <laughs> I could cry at that. Video. Yeah, that's
1: my that's my KPI for for improved really. Um, it's just to see those paper bags. Wow. Going around, but a more theoretical and more, I guess, dream of mine would be for people to really start talking about sex from a, a space of, you know, love, care, curiosity, and respect, not like. When we hear people talk about sex, it's going to be, you know, shameful, or people will laugh, or people will tell you, hey, don't say that. There are a lot of people around listening. So, I also want people to see sex as something um, not to avoid. So, see it not as something to avoid, but something to welcome with a lot of interest and understanding. Because the more that we avoid sex, the more we are welcoming the, its negative consequences. <laughs> and also to recognize sex as a key, um, not actually in hurting ourselves, not sex will bring you negative consequences. I want to shift the mindset so that people will see sex as a key in learning to love and respect ourselves and others.
2: That's it.
0: Wow. I love that. <laughs> we,
2: should tra- we should trademark negative consequences. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Trish? I, of course, I echo all of that. I, I think to me, to kind of put it in a different way, the key is really for even for myself in understanding your options, understanding yourself and being at peace. With, with who you are, whatever that looks like. And I think it's with that understanding that you, it's that love for yourself and that understanding for yourself that you're also able to extend that to others, right? I know it sounds cheesy, but it's truly, especially when you're coming from a space of judgment and really this topic of sex, the only way that you can understand others is if you kind of give that same grace to yourself. And to myself, right, I still catch myself being honestly the judgmental towards things that I don't understand, you know, that maybe I've never been exposed to or never encountered before. That is just like how others define their sexual selves because it's not the way that I'm describing myself. So my goal for, you know, the community is the same goal that I have for myself, yeah.
0: I love that. I love all the things that you both shared. And, you know, I I think one of the things that I am thinking about right now, especially since I just came out of like a few client sessions uh, is, you know, it's like, I've had clients who have been talking to me about like sex and how much shame there still is. And not just about like, the lack of sexual education and wellness, but also about what our expectations of someone who is in a partnership right how much sex should we be having what does that mean if we're not having enough enough sex quote unquote um, does that mean that we're not in love does that mean that this relationship is not healthy you know so many things that are still so there's still so many I think myths and misconceptions around sex and sexual expectations that I think this framework of this fluid beautiful framework that you've laid out and this kind of affirming message that you're sending out is so so amazing to see and so i think of course and of course one of the last things i want to ask is for anyone who you know is listening today who might resonate with anything that you shared today right whether that's suffering negative consequences because they didn't have sexual wellness or education or someone who might be curious, right? To explore more sexual freedom for themselves and awareness for themselves. What is one helpful tip that you think uh, might, you could offer, I
2: guess? she can go ahead. Yeah, one helpful tip, just one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hold on. Because on one hand, there's the philosophical, right? Like ask yourself, always ask yourself um, kind of questions about why you think you're feeling that way about a sexual moment or a sexual encounter. If it's like with a partner and you're feeling resentment or if it's with yourself and you're feeling frustration, I think um, just asking yourself where you think that's rooted in I think the practical side of that is really therapy. I think I've learned a lot through my journey in therapy and my the way that I view sex in questions that I would never have known to ask myself. So yeah, asking the right questions is really to me key.
1: Yeah, okay.. Um before whenever someone would ask me this question, I would tell I would say I, yeah, I would answer with never fake your orgasms or like stop faking your orgasms. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but now if there's one helpful tip, um Trish said therapy. And uh, aside from that, I could um invite people to go to unfruit.com <laughs> Go to unfruit. <laughs>
0: Yes, and that's where I want to end it today because if you want to find out more information about Dr. Rika Cruz's work and the sexual stages and to kind of explore more about what Unprude has to offer, please visit unprude.com Is there anywhere else that they can find you? Anything else that anywhere that you would like to kind of put out there as resources? Oh, okay. Um uh,
1: for Filipino Americans listening to this podcast i also have a podcast um entitled conservative ako it translates to i'm conservative <laughs> and it's it's really focused on helping filipino women understand the sexual shame and guilt that we were conditioned um with growing up and for them to be able to unleash their inner sexy goddesses <laughs> oh. that's what the podcast is about i also have my instagram it's um underscore Rica Cruz. so you can find you know sexual content there and like Things about my life.
2: <laughs> and of course, please do follow um Unproved official on Instagram, right, Trish? Yes, and I do actually um, want a quick note. It's just really interesting that conservative means something so different in the U.S. versus in the Philippines, right, oh. Jack? If well, conservative being very political in the U.S. Just wanted to ah, Whereas gotcha. in the Philippines, it's very much like it means it means sex, right? Like you are a proper woman I so
0: see. thank you that's a is... lot about
2: societies I think yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay well thank you both so much for taking the time to be here today and um I hope that this I mean I know that this is going to be something that everyone will resonate with
2: thank you Jack you mm-hmm. had so much fun Thanks, talking about